Hey guys, it's Kyle. Thank you for joining me. This is my third podcast. Um, Still working out the kinks, still trying to figure it all out, but I'm super excited to um, be where I'm at so far. I've had some great guests so far, and um, this time on episode three, I have Gene Christian Baca joining me from Walter's Hot Dogs. All you Westchester folks know uh, Walter's Hot Dogs, or you should know Walter's Hot Dogs. Um, they have been around in Mamaroneck for 100 years. They have expanded recently um, to White Plains and Stanford, and I just find the story totally fascinating. And if you guys were in the restaurant business who have been in the business two, three, five, seven, ten years, you know, that feels like 100. Um, these guys have been in it for 100 years and, and still out there. Um, crushing it. So uh, this was a fun episode, a lot to learn, a lot of cool insight uh, into being a 100-year-old family business. So uh, check it out. I hope you guys enjoy. All right, Gene. Uh, Thanks for joining me again. I know, uh, in full disclosure, this is our second round here. Uh, Gene was actually the first guest on um, the podcast, but we had a little hiccup even though we actually recorded the full thing. So uh, thanks for bearing with me again. Uh, What's going on, man? Nothing much. Thanks so much for having me. I I like to think that it wasn't so much a hiccup, but it's just by popular demand. We have to do it this way. The people wanted it. That's what it was. The the response was overwhelming. The people's choice. You have to let, yeah. You gotta let the people speak. Yes. Um, no, but honestly, thank you for having me back. And and we can go deeper. We can cover whatever whatever content will be helpful for what you're looking to accomplish. Let's do it. Um. So, Gene, start out. Um. You know, we're we're starting this podcast small, but we got big plans for it. So, cool. tell everybody a little bit about who you are, uh, a little bit about Walters, um, yeah. and take it from there. Sure. So my name is Gene Christian Bach. I'm fourth generation um, family member in, in uh, Walter's Hot Dogs based out of Mamaroneck, New York. This year we're celebrating our 100th year in business in Mamaroneck. It was started by my great grandfather, Walter Warrington. And uh, real cool history. Um, you know, he came over to Ellis Island in the early 1890s, um, went through that whole you know, the whole immigration story of, of what it was like to, uh, to come into Ellis Island and, and everything that he went through. And, um, you know, he taught himself English. He had an entrepreneurial nature really from the early get-go and starting businesses. And he started Walters in 1919 while he was in his early 20s. So he didn't have a ton of experience behind him, but he was very strong-minded as far as wanting to uh, accomplish big things and really live out the American dream as it was unfolding in the, in the, you know, you know, mid early 1900s rather. So when and, he, when he came over here, he knew he just wanted to start a business. He wasn't like, I got these killer hot dogs. I'm going to blow these people away. Just sit back and watch. It was like, I got to do something. I'm coming to this country for a reason. I'm going to figure it out. Or what was the deal? Was he a cook? Is this like something that started? Oh, so he, he came over as a, as a, as a little child. Oh, so okay. he didn't, he didn't have, you know, the, 
the choice necessarily to come over here, but you know, his, his parents wanted something really special. And, um, you know, he grew up really kind of seeing the, the American dream and, and, and whatnot at, a, at an early age. And he just knew from an early age that he wanted something bigger and better. And he wanted to be able to provide, um, you know, not only for him, himself, but he wanted to build something really special. And uh, obviously he was able to really make that dream into a reality and make it happen uh, as I'm, you know, fourth generation uh, of family members involved in this business in Westchester. So he absolutely built a strong foundation to be able to beat the odds in creating a business establishment, but also to, you know, by definition, really build a legacy is, is pretty incredible. That's such a crazy time. I mean, like people think about like things like this, like just being able to start a podcast or record yourself and go out there. It's probably equally as exciting and people can tap into that stuff, but to come over here and grow up in a time where it was like, Hey man, you want to go do it, go do it. You know, it was like, very low barriers to entry, you know, all that regulation and stuff around businesses and stuff wasn't in place. And people were starting with hot dog stands and fruit carts and, you know, coming to this country with, you know, the old story, $2 in their pocket and like making it happen. I mean, that's, that's yeah, you know, it was pretty cool where, you know, he didn't necessarily choose a, a career or a career path that was, you know, glitzy, glamorous and sexy in the early 19, you know, 1900s. Right. He, something that was gritty and that required a lot of hard work and, um, you know, really kind of, you know, doing, having that whatever it takes mentality to make something happen. Right. So, you know, was it, was it necessarily wanting to start a food establishment? Was it necessarily hot dogs? What was it that really motivated him? Uh, that I don't have the answers to, but I know he wanted to really create a unique business model and he was able to do that with kind of putting, you know, a spin on what was really popular at the time and extremely cheap, which was hot dogs, right? Yeah. Cheap, quick food. And he wanted to kind of put his own twist to it. So that's where the recipe came into play with, you know, the ingredients that went into our hot dog. And then he said, you know what, we're going to kind of take it away from just how a hot dog was cooked in 1919. And we're actually going to cook it on a grill and we're going to split it down the middle so people can actually see what, what's in a hot dog because it was kind of like a mystery meat at the time. Yeah, right. And we're going to toast the buns to really kind of make it stand out. And, you know, we're going to kind of make an elevated version of what people can get, you know, uh, at a very cheap price. Right. And, and that's what he did. So what, how old was he when this all went down? He was in his early twenties. Early twenties. He was in his early twenties. So when you think about it, you know, um, Again, putting himself through school, putting himself yeah. to be able to learn the language, really kind of get, uh, you know, grow up in, in the American culture in the way it was in the early 1900s or so. And then um, he knew he wanted to be a business owner. He knew that he wanted to have businesses. He knew he wanted to uh, kind of be the decision maker and kind of, um, you know, be in control of his life in a way. Right. So that, that's really what he did. So the next question I have, I guess, is how do you wind up, you know, you come over from, where, where country did he come Italy. over from? Okay, so he comes over from Italy, yeah. Ellis Island. What's going on in Westchester in, you know, 1919? What's going, I mean, there had to be nothing. There had to be so nothing. The, the cool, there, there was not a lot happening in right. 
in Mamaroneck for sure. Well, Mamaroneck was like a beachside town, right? Wasn't it like a resort kind of getaway place? That's, it was really kind of almost the gateway connecting Westchester to New York City because of the Boston Post Road. So um, that was a big thing because everyone who was kind of traveling from up north or whatever, there weren't a lot of routes to get to New York City. So the Boston Post Road was a major gateway to get to New York City. Um, so originally, that's why he opened up on the Boston Post Road. He built this little shack there because he wanted to, uh, you know, stay open late hours to be able to get all that traffic that was coming from New York City, you know, with how um, Broadway was at the time and, and the, the shows in New York City and kind of the culture that it stemmed for nightlife. He wanted to be able to um, attract those people to come back. I'm laughing because I'm just thinking of like, at the time that this was all going down, to put it in perspective, like I wish I had another some way to put up a screen. It was literally like crank cars, and like people in like the hot, the guys like in the high collar shirts, yeah, top hat. hats, and like yeah. yeah, that's that's so sick to think about. So what's what's uh, what is in place where the original Walters was? What's there now? I I I don't know exactly what's there right now. I think it's I think it's an open land. Oh. Um, I'm I'm not sure what it was. Okay. It be, that original location was very very small and it only it only lasted nine years because in 1928 is when he built the pagoda um, on Palmer Avenue, which you know people know today yeah. they go. So it didn't have a long lifespan. Right. Um, so I, to be honest, I don't know exactly. I'm sure I can find out, but yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah. So, what, so then the move to the Pagoda was spurred by what? I mean, if Boston Post Road was the spot, what made it move? What is that? That's at least one block back, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it runs parallel. Right. He wanted to be closer to Mamaroneck High School. He wanted to have a bigger space, and he really bought real estate. So he, he bought... Um, a big chunk of land on Palmer Avenue and he wanted to kind of center the business in kind of a central location to the real estate that he bought. Which, and, so that house is still there. That's the house, right? The house that, that he built originally. Yeah. And, um, and, and the pagoda, he literally, which is behind Mamaroneck high school. And that's sort of like the headquarters now. The, yeah. The brains of the operation. That's so cool. Yeah. So now it's what you, so now it's what, how many years later? It's early 1900s, 19. So he started, he started Walter's hot dogs in 1919. Okay. And so now he it, it really grew the business to be able to start the new, you know, the location on Palmer Avenue in 1928. So he was nine years in business. Um, established. He, he was well established then by then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he moved over there and everyone was like, cool. Now you're over here. He didn't have any laps in business. Nothing happened. Cause that's the same question now, right? Like, oh man, like if you talked about somebody now moving, hey, I'm gonna move from here to just on the other side of that road over there, people would be like, nah, I don't know. You know, you kind of right. do it all here. So that seems yeah. like a gutsy move, even for then maybe. I wonder if that, that's true, if it was so gutsy, right? You know, he, the cool thing about Walter is that he, and, and something that he really passed on to my grandfather. And, you know, my grandfather was a big part of the local Westchester community, but so was, my great grandfather Walter. He was part of so many organizations. Um, he was kind of at the jumpstart to quite a few of them. Yeah, uh, I would imagine. He was. Well, he was so many organizations around then, right? He was probably like 
Yeah, I mean, even, you know, the Elks Club, the Elks were such a big thing at that time. He was one of the founding members for the, the Mamaronic chapter that's obviously still there and whatnot. But, but I think he had such a strong sense of community and he was a family man and he, he Mamaronic was really home for him. Right. So he, he knew that he really maxed out the space that he was working and operating in business. And he knew he had a, he had a strong following. So he knew that he needed something bigger and he wanted to really kind of make something better and really kind of establish something that would really um, continue to attract locals, but really be able to bring, uh, make something unique to bring a strong following right. from other, you know, other places than just Mamaronic. And he was able to do that. So now it's 1920, 1930. I mean, now we're talking about going into like World War One. Great Depression. Great right. Depression. Like, and, and business survived. Was there any period of time during this like extreme boom, depression, wartime period where Walters was closed or like stopped serving or what, what did that look? Did you have to go to a war? Like, I can imagine there was a lot of that came into play. I mean, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of history went on just in those first 20 years. Yeah, well, you know, my, my, um, my grandfather had two brothers, and they, all, all three of them served uh, in, in, in different forms of military over those years. But um, the, the cool thing that we have is, you know, we, we have people, customers who are, you know, five, gener five generations of customers or customers who are in their 90s or, you know, even that have turned 100 or 100 plus. And they'll say, you know, for as long as I remember, we always remember a line at Walters. You know, we, we always remember the hot dog tasting just like how it did when I was a kid, you know. So, you know, though, though you know, as far as from a historical perspective, we don't have everything as documented as we do today. We, we lean heavily on local historical organizations and societies right. to be able to kind of help us put together some pieces. We can, we can take what we hear and, and um, you know, get a consensus of, of what life, what business was like during that time. And we were fortunate. And I think it was because again, you know, at that time people didn't have a ton of money, especially going through the great depression. So he offered a product that was quick, that was cheap, that people can take their families and get meals. Right. Right. Not, you know, not spend a lot of money at the time what were they a nickel at a time Two, you know i think it was like three for a dime or so um so that's crazy to think about yeah so i think that really kind of struck a chord with people at the time um you know and obviously the product was is and you know an outstanding product and tastes a little bit different than just a typical hot dog and now he so now your grandfather walter's walter's uh, son Walter's son, Gene Warrington, yeah. He uh, unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, but he was pretty hands-on involved in the business up until until the, the, the time that he passed away, right? I mean, he, his presence was felt. I'm not saying he was there uh, working the fries with you, but he was definitely letting you know he was there, right? Yeah, so I am so – one of, the, like, my one of my biggest accomplishments that just – let alone for, like, business, but – just personal success stories, you know, um, is that he got to see the trucks. Yeah. And, you know, that was amazing. That means a lot to me because he was, he, you know, people identify with him as Walter, as Walters, because right, right, right. 
you know, he was four years old when Walter started in 1919. So he, he literally grew up in that business. He knew the business better than anybody. Yeah. I mean, you know, he started working in, you know, once he was finished with, um, you know, once he were, uh, finished his service with the Navy and, you know, he tried a couple of other things. He just knew he wanted to be part of his dad's business. It's kind of always that way. Like I know so many kids, kids, I got guys that I went to high school with whose parents had like these well-established businesses, whether it was like one, my roommate, uh, his dad had a, a company where they leased audio equipment mm-hmm. and it was like this very successful company. Like they would lease it to like the Philadelphia Flyers for the season. They would lease oh. it to like the mayor or the president that came to town, like big audio installation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Why don't you just work there? He's like, no, 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 no. Went to law school four years later. Like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go. I'll go do that. I'll go do yeah. that. And that generation never wants to do it. So, so he didn't want to do it at first. So now he's ready to rock and roll after he comes back. He's like, all right, I'm going to take care of it. Yeah, so he, my grandfather, Gene, really, you know, made Walters his career and, and livelihood in his early 20s. Wow. And, you know, um, and, and really in, in the early 1950s is when, when my grandfather, Gene, took it over. Um, so, okay. So they worked side by side for 20 years. Yeah. My, my grandfather started in the, I'm going to say it, it was really the mid forties that he started. Okay. Um, so he, um, you know, he, he helped out and whatnot. He, he would always say, he would always tell me, he goes, I did whatever pop needed me to do, uh, <laughs> for the business to help out whenever. So even if I wasn't, an employee of Walters, I was still there helping out because that's what family did. You know, we, that's the expectation, right? You're like, not going to not do it. I'm sure like, even if you did work another job, they're like, well, yeah, you're also going to work here. Right. Yeah. Right. So Uh, that was, um, in the forties, you said now up into the fifties. So mid fifties is when he, he, he really took it over. So again, some perspective, I like that was 60 years ago. (laughs) It's so sick to think about. You think about how long ago that really was. So now we're 60 years into the business. Has anything changed yet? Have they been like from the original concept to now what's ultimately roughly the midpoint of the, of, of the lifetime of, of this brand? Have they changed anything? So like the, you, the new, yeah, it was pretty cool. You know? come in, start swinging some new ideas. You know, he did, you know, <laughs> um, Obviously, the the hot dog and the recipe, every everything stayed the same. But he decided that he wanted to um, add ice cream and make ice cream in at, at our location. And he wanted to have milkshakes, and he wanted to um, really build, you know, not just hot dogs, but have obviously the fries, have milkshakes, have ice cream and really try to make it a full experience as opposed to just a roadside stand, hot dogs, hot dogs, hot dogs. You know, he wanted to add some things to it. So that's really what he did. Well, culturally, that was the time. That was the drive-through milkshakes, you know, hamburgers, trays on the window. So he was probably just trying to like, look at these guys. They're killing it with the milkshakes. And they're, you know, right? I mean, that had to be his thought. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And and he, um, you know, he, he wanted to... He, he, he wanted to create value for people. He wanted to create an experience. And, and, and I say my, grand, my great-grandfather, Walter, was able to create that experience, but my grandfather wanted to 
really put an emphasis into that and drive home that we're we're not selling a hot dog. We're selling an experience, and we want to. Yeah, that's everything. Yeah, it's a whole separate podcast. You know, we want people to come and leave feeling better than before they came through the doors, and not something that at that time it was two for a quarter to get a hot dog. Oh, um, he big jump. They were three for. They were three for ten cents, like ten years before. Inflation. A couple. Of, a couple of wars later. Yeah. Know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So in that in that whole time. Has this, the mustard been there since the beginning? I mean, we failed to even mention the mustard and we're 60 years into this business. So it was, you know, I don't know the exact year of what it was, but it was when, you know, my, my grandfather, it was my grandfather Gene's idea to add the relish to the mustard. There we go. He wanted to be able to add, add a little bit of a sweet kick to things a little bit where, you know, at the time mustard would be known for being kind of bitter and spicy and things along that nature. He said, if we just add a little bit of, of a pickled relish in there, it'll take away any spice and it'll go really, it'll complement our hot dog really well. And it almost feels like you were adding an additional topping when we're, or not. It's just an, it's just an essential ingredient to right. our mustard. And that's what he did. But he'd also, he'd make the mustard from scratch at Walter's. It was like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory of, of mustard. And I was really fortunate. And a lot of my family members were really fortunate as we grew up and my grandfather was still involved in the business. I remember as a kid going there and seeing this long wooden spoon and these barrels and my grandfather mixing the mustard. And and he would make it from like mustard seed, like how, like that he'd make it like that he had all the different ingredients holy crap and he would he would put it together and he would make it that must have been the jam right there that stuff oh, man it was so I, rem I and everything was like custom like how he did it and and the wooden spoon that he had had to be exact dimensions so that it would be a perfect mixing and the way he did it and and um the homemade contraptions that he made to 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 faci facilitate it all at the time yeah. It was just so cool. It was just so cool to see, you know? So who's the one who had to convince him to say, okay, we're not doing this anymore. And when did that happen? Like, when did that, that must've been a conversation. Yeah, I don't know. Or I don't, somebody maybe he's tried to step in and was like, let me make the mustard today. Yeah. Or like he was sick or something. And they're like, you know what? No, well, no you're not going to do it. Let me make it. How do you get it? How do you get it from a process that's so hands-on? You hear this story all the time in pizza. Like one guy makes the dough. Nobody else knows the recipe. Like, do you know anything about that? That's a story. There's probably like a movie around that. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. Right? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't. but again, something as, as little as that could be, could have been such a significant conversation and, oh. and so could have been so, uh, how long did it take? How did it take months, years? How many conversations? How many different yeah. Recipes until we said this is going to be the formula. Yeah, this is going to be Walter's mustard to our hot dog. Or it's going to be like, hey, I know a guy who can make it for us cheaper or something like that. Did you bring it up to to uh, Eugene? Uh, yeah, I already did one. Okay, let's go talk to him again. I mean, I wonder, I wonder what that real story is like because right, that kind of stuff doesn't just change. Like, oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah, I don't have to do this anymore because that process it starts to become who you are. Like. Mm -hmm. You start to have that that culture came over like this is what I do. I right. make mustard. I'm I saw hot dog. If you take that away, they start to like lose their identity a little bit, right? Like I know the you know, famous story, and, and I don't know if I'm peeling back the curtain here or whatever, but at Johnny's in Mount Vernon was that the dad would go into this little closet, 
with the, you know, the classic pizza guy outfit, the white shirt, the white pants, the little hat. Sure. Not that different from the hot dog guy outfit, right? Go into, go into a room and 45 minutes come out later with like a dolly and push the dough on, like, here's the dough for the day. Yeah. And like, I'm sure as things, you know, time went on, you know, they've been in business, you know, 80 years now or whatever. Somebody That's figured it out, but um, I don't doubt that he, that becomes who you are. You're, you're the guy. And if that's taken away from you at, you know, that's gotta be a, a difficult conversation. You're not going to give that up. Right. No, you're right about that for sure. But you know, I, th there obviously had to be a level of trust. I, you know, my, my grandfather and his father, they had a really special relationship and bond. And my grandfather, from what I've been told, took on so many of the same traits and characteristics that the local community people loved about Walter in himself. You know, my, my great-grandfather Walter was a comedian, a prankster, a jokester. Right. And um, that was something that, you know, my grandfather kind of took with it and ran with it, you know. But my a funny story just about, like, the times and how, you know, um, you know, how you can create an experience and how you can get such a loyal following and things like that is that, you know, they would just take interest in who their customers were and, and, uh, you know, develop, you know, a name to a face. But my great grandfather, Walter, he would, um, every now and again, when he saw, you know, the right, the right customer. Or so he had a rubber hot dog and, uh, they would say, let's give so-and-so this today's special. And he would put the rubber hot dog in the bun and, you know, serve it to the customer. So to see if they, you know, see if they would notice anything. Classic. That's they, awesome. You know what I mean? But little things like that. And, and at, at a time where you could do things like that, people loved. Or, or once people knew about it, it became like a little local thing where maybe that person had it. And he would come and he would say, hey, Walter, can you give so-and-so now the special you gave me? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, again, when we're talking about creating experiences and, and building a sense of community, I think it was little things like that that my grandfather took and kind of ran with, right? Um, you know, with the business. So now, now as you get through, you get through all that time, and, and you, you know, you have now survived basically two world wars. Um, you know, now things are on the America's on the upswing again, and it's like seventies and eighties. Economies are ripping. Yeah. How does Walters in a hundred years stay at one location? Like, that's admirable, right? Like, I mean, for some reason, we always think Americans that more is better and that um, more is going to be more money and that's better and that's what America's for, right? We, so mm -hmm. having come over here with the American dream of, you know, own my own business, own my own house, dog, family, job, um, you know, education for my kids. Yeah. How do you stay in one place? What so was that structure like? How was that discipline instilled in him how did he turn all that stuff away it seems yeah like a not an easy thing to have done I, I think in my in my opinion you know everyone has their own definition of what success means to them right so i think you know to my grandfather to walter himself their definition of, of success meant something specific and personal to them. And I think that was being content with what they had, um, establishing a secure business with a strong following that can really run on its own and had a great reputation. And to them, that was 
success in and of itself and they didn't need or necessarily desire more right and there had been a lot yeah and there had been a lot of opportunities in the 70s and 80s to really try to grow um and in that case you know in, in the 70s into the 80s there was a location at harbor island for the summer back mm-hmm. when harbor island was you know uh, a real obviously beach hot spot and there was so much going on and they also had a food truck in the 70s Whoa. as well all right so there was a kind of sense of but that was more for the community that was more to be able to um you know be close ties to harbor island because it meant so much to our family at the time and a truck wasn't like how our trucks are today. It was there to just, um, you know, help out for fundraisers and local events and things along that nature. Um, I mean, I, everybody remembers the old school. I mean, those were like, the, I always make a joke about like, those old school hot dog trucks have been around forever. I grew up on Long Island and they're everywhere. You know, near yeah. golf course by like on the side of the LIE over there. Yeah. And they, they are like, when the food truck craze happened, they're probably like, hello, like we've been here this whole time. Yeah. So, like, and everything. But that's what they were. And they were always hot dog trucks or, or ice cream. Yeah. And it's cool because, you know, we, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to be able to keep in touch with, with people who, you know, their first jobs or their first careers were, you know, at Walters and, and they're able to really share a lot of their stories and memories about that. But, you know, when we were able to meet people who worked on the food truck or who managed the Harbor Island location for the summers that it was there, it, it gives us a lot of insight to um, not only what the business was like, but what the local community was like and everything. So that, that was really important to us, but that's as far as growth, that's really what, what they did, but it wasn't, it, it it didn't require a ton. It wasn't as, as, as um, complicated and, and a lot of people involved because those were small operations that, that we created. It was in the early 90s that um, we were approached to franchise. And I mean, I was what, seven, eight years old at the time. You know, myself and, and my family members who were involved in the business now, you know, I, we, I remembered as a kid, but they Walters had decided to franchise in 1991. Next step, right? Yeah, and they did, and I knew it was something that really terrified my family quite a bit. But um, why? Time, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but at this time, he's the sole decision maker. Like he's not relying. On, I mean, he. I'm sure you know the family's around, and everybody talks about the business. But that decision to to franchise the business was solely his decision. Yeah, you know, we had other family members who were involved, you know, who, who had worked at Walters at the time and who were managers. And I know my mother was involved to really kind of, you know, assist and help my grandfather. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it's his business. But, you know, there were other people involved for sure, you know, as a support system and to really make this happen. Right. And for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. You know, the, there was different locations that had opened and it didn't work out. It just didn't work. Hmm. Um, you know, Walters had a location in Hawaii for a couple of years. Wow. That's a little bit of knowledge right there. So where were, other than Hawaii, where were the other locations? There was one on Tuckahoe Road in Yonkers. Okay. Yeah. Um, there was, I'm drawing some blanks now. There's one in Yonkers. Yonkers in Hawaii. Yonkers in Hawaii. And I believe <laughs> one, there was one on Long Island. Oh. 
Um, and every now and again, people will say, I remember the one on Tuckahoe Road or this and that. And they had lasted just for a couple of years. Right. Um, and, and that was ever attributed to anything? Was it like nostalgia? Was it like, you know, what, I, what, what did he attribute that to? Or did he just like lose interest? A, a lot of it was, you know, with franchisees, you got to, you have to make sure they have the right type of training and they understand yeah. the history and the product and this and that. And you may have people who don't necessarily, they know of it, but they don't know. Yeah. Um, they don't know all of it or how to build, you know, these big elaborate, you know, sit down kind of dining like McDonald's type restaurants. Is that really what they needed at the time? Right. Um, so I just, for whatever reason, they just didn't work out. Um, so that really, you know, crippled any future decisions over, you know, the short-term basis. Yeah, the bad taste in his mouth. Like, let's just big, big. And, and, and I remember when I was kind of coming up and I always wanted to be a part of this family business. I, I really, I always did. And, um, I remember how, when they would get some inquiries, uh, I would be the one to set up some meetings. And I was in my, my early twenties at the time. And I remember some of these, you know, uh, angel investors and serial entrepreneurs that really wanted, you know, we want to put Walters in every major city and every airport and every stadium. We want to do this and this and this. And it's like, you know, I was like, Oh man, this could be the coolest thing ever. And of course we want this, you know, take Walters out from America and put it in every major city and this and that. Right. But you know, for whatever reasons, it just, it, it's timing and it's belief and it's comfort and all those things. And it, it just, the, the, Franchising in the early '90s just left too bad a taste uh, yeah. of what to come. So that so that opportunity was done, or not opportunity, but that yeah. time it was done. So he's like, you know, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, and so that was, was. I mean, all of that work was really over about three, four years, and that was it. Wow, that's a that's a blip in the. That's, that's where you know we you don't hear about that a lot, and because there's in our in our history as a business that failure was a very short time period. Right. So now fast forward, how do you get involved in the business? So how do you eventually really, you just said you were, you got you were looking to get in or you were involved a little bit during that period. When did you come on full tilt and, and how, how did that come to be? How was that out of need or out of, out of desire on your part? Yeah. So, you know, I, like I said, I always wanted to be part of the family business, but it just, it, it did not happen. You know, there was no real role for me at the time or, or, or anything. So I owned my own sales and marketing companies and I traveled quite a bit and, uh, for almost seven years. And then in 2013, you know, at that time, my grandfather just turned 90 mm -hmm. and, you know, um, we had some heart to hearts and he really, you know, as his only grandson, as the, you know, he wanted me a part of the business and really try to learn it from the ground up. So uh, I started obviously as an employee and um, really to learn the business inside and out. And, you know, I, I had worked there in high school and in summers and college and things like that, but it wasn't my livelihood. I, I wasn't there. I didn't know the ins and outs of the business. Right. So I came on board and, um, you know, my, I left my career. It was just, it was, I left my career. My mother left her career as an English professor. My sister, Catherine left her career working in, um, PR, um, in the food biz. Right. And it was kind of like a perfect storm. We all, we all kind of joined forces 
um, and really helped in, to assist my sister, Christine, who really managed and ran Palmer Avenue for over like 20 years. Wow. And we said, we really, you know, we have a great business. We love this business and what's going to happen to it. You know, our, my grandfather's 90 years old. How are we going to kind of turn this, you know, mom and pop business into something that can really be, um, really be something a little bit bigger. Right. So when you guys all came together, you all basically, you all started at the same time? Within a couple of months from each other. Yeah. Because wow. we, we were all, you know, my mother's college career and, and, and her schedule and, uh, my sister working in, in, in PR. Um, so there was, we were all off by a couple of months or so, but really our first big project was to close in 2014. I mean, talk about like coming on and, and, and turning a project was to um, close the business. The business had never been closed, but we closed it for four months to complete. Wow. Oh, to renovate, right? Yeah. In 2014. Wow. And that was a tough decision to make. My grandfather said, we're going to be closed. There's going to be an uproar and the, there's going to be riots on the street. People are going to come and they expect hot dogs and we're going to be closed. We're never closed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we really wanted to turn and, and, and really kind of set up a business that was, you know, substantial for the 21st century and, and how we did things and systems and order of operations and how can we try to make the line go faster and how can we make it an easier ordering process and a flow from where customers order to pick up their orders and, you know, just all the kind of nitty gritty yeah. things. I mean, now at this point, you're 85 years old. You probably need to yeah. change the system. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot yeah. of patience. So he said he had, I mean, and plus you had him there as a resource, right? Like, Hey, do you think it would, I'm sure he had to be whether you wanted him to be or not, or if he could be there as much as he wanted to be or not. He at least we still had him there as a sounding board to help build that out, right? I mean, he was totally tough. Of course, of course, we we'd always go to him. No one knew no one knew Walters better than him. Right. That was his. That was his life. He knew every 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 inch, every corner of that business, everything that went into it. So of course we want to we want to utilize him. I remember, you know, for a good amount of time, my sister Catherine and I would just record him. We would just have these sessions just to be able to hear from him yeah. um, stories and recipes and what to do in this circumstance and what about this and what about that about the business because he was just a wealth of knowledge. So, um, of course, we were able to, to utilize him for that. And, um, and it was a huge help. And um, we had wanted to do food trucks because we would get asked all the time to do weddings and parties at people's homes. and festivals and events so that's where we said project number two is going to be um once we have the systems and the new systems in line at walters and really get that cranking we're gonna start the food trucks and that's what we did in 2015 so 2015 you start with one truck right now yeah I started with one truck. truck how far after that how long after that uh less than a year wow yeah now you guys have that's 2015, so you still have the Pagoda, two trucks. Yep. Now you've got Stanford and White Plains there. What does the business look like 100 years later? How different is it and what, 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 uh, how much the same is it? Well, I'll start with the, the same is the product. You know, the, 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 the product, and that's something we're really proud of, is being consistent and having the quality of the product still be there. And that it, that's the same. 
you know, it's um, the simplicity of it all. Though, though we don't offer the chili and the cheese and the sauerkraut and anything, any other topping you could think of to put on a hot dog, right. um, we've stuck to our formula. We've stuck to our recipe of success, and that's really the simplicity of it all. So that has always been the same, and that's kind of the core of our business is that, you know, um, don't change things up too much. Don't, don't reinvent the wheel on something that doesn't need it. Right. Um, as far as what has changed, you know, we've been able to take our businesses mobile, you know, we've been able to, um, you know, brand and, and sell the mustard on a retail level and on a national level. And it's again, really about what people love and try to get it to them as opposed to just making everyone have to come to Mamaronik right. to get what, what they that's the, that's the culture, right? Like people want it where they want it. Yeah. Yeah, what looks yeah. different is obviously the new locations, you know, and, um, and really kind of branching out that way. So, so I mean, now, now you have a whole host of new, new concerns, right? I mean, now just to, to bring this all home now, you guys have been in businesses the hundredth year. Mm-hmm. You've got the, the three stores. I know Stanford's seasonal, but still, um, you know, p- part of the, the brick and mortar situation. Yeah. What challenges are you guys seeing now? Like what, what kind of challenges are, do you have now in terms of the family business running an operation now in this climate with rising labor costs? What, um, what are some of the concerns that, that keep you up at night with this stuff and how, how are you dealing with them right now? So the, the problems definitely multiply, right? Um, so I, I think an obstacle that I think a lot of small business owners, especially within the food industry, is to be able to find great talent out there to be able to find great talent who buy into the direction that you're going as a company, who knows and understands what your business may mean to them so that it strikes on a personal level, not just a place where they can clock in and clock out, right. a, a place that could provide a little bit more than just that. And I think that's something that my grandfather really instilled is a lot of people would say, you know, my first job was at Walters or really I, I my first place I went to after college that I was able to really kind of take some life principles and valuable lessons about how to interact with people and how to work in a team environment and how to be able to multitask in a fast paced nature and handle customer service and, you know, public speaking and dealing with the public. And it's a lot of things that, you know, people may not think of, you know, how could someone working at Walters kind of be able to get those type of life lessons and life skills? I think that's something, especially in the 21st century in restaurant in in fast food and quick service food is to be able to really get great talent is to be able to not just focus on the job description but also the experience that will be gained from here so finding great talent is is i think a big obstacle you know and i think i think you know obviously having been in the restaurant business we we deal with people who a number one are of the age where they're this is their first job yeah. Or if they're older, let's just be honest, they're probably not the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? So, and you're... Over, they may just be over that. They may just, it, it just may not be what they want at that right. time in life. And they may not be, there may not be people. They may not be people that can interact like that. They're just doing yeah. this because they need money, right? And it's a right. low barrier of entry. And we, and we, as hospitality, we need bodies. So we're forced to train them. I think that what is... A challenge there with that is how do you get them to care? You know, like how do you get them to care about your brand when you're a 17 year old kid 
and you're putting them in charge of so many things, customer service, yep. sometimes in case cooking, cleaning, um, you know, all that funny stuff, you know, that, that's, those are things that these kids have to, to be responsible for, for your brand. And I think yeah. that's a real challenge. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And something that, that was instilled in me that I learned, especially, you know, having businesses before is that no one's going to care about your business as much as you. Right. So number one, you're, you're the leader, you're the example. And it's yeah. kind of like, um, um, you know, monkey see monkey do in a way that, you know, you have to set the example and you almost have to kind of over exaggerate the systems and how you want things done to hope that they'll, they'll kind of mimic that in a way that's satisfactory. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot to ask. And I think that you guys, you know, it is a lot to ask for sure. But I think that's where being able to be a, a great recruiter and a talent scout. Yeah. Comes into play. You have to. Right, the personality, right? You have to. You, and, yeah. and, you know, the, the lifeline of anyone's business is recruiting. And I think, it's, I think it's an entire funnel that um, you have to go through to be able to find the necessary tools to be able to be the backbone of your business and to be able to kind of, um, you know, in order to grow it, you have to have systems in place. You have to have checks and balances, but you need the right people that you can trust. And I think that's the bottom line. And I think that's a good place to end it. I think that uh, I could talk to you for another hour about this stuff, but um, thanks again, man, for joining um, I'll just say, you know, Gene is one of the hardest working, nicest guys I've met in this business. I've known you since I, I moved here to Westchester, like about 10 years ago. Um, congrats on your success. A hundred years. Thank you. Um, I'm sure I'll be calling again to help out, uh, on the show. Anytime. Uh, I still, I think I still owe it to you to, to pull a shift on the truck. So maybe this summer we can make that happen. Yes. We've got some really cool, exciting things for the hundredth on, uh, for our food trucks this year. So there's a, there's a couple of things lined up already that, that you definitely want to be a part of and see. Sick. And you can right. obviously just to taste the food too that we have coming. Oh man. Oh, the collaborations. All right. That's another episode. All right, Gene. Thanks so much, man. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Kyle. All the best. Later on, man. Bye.